throws high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So yesterday was thrilling. It was exciting. And we got something yesterday that we haven't gotten in a while. Some physical, real-life sports news about a specific player or a specific team. Not about a league. Not about a plan or a proposal to return. Not about fans in the stands or something to do with COVID or a social justice protest. We got a real sports story yesterday. And it's one of the classics. Right? A sports story that will never get old. A holdout. I love it. And this time the holdout isn't with the Dallas Cowboys or what other teams have we seen holdout? The Pittsburgh Steelers. We've seen this story a lot the last couple of years. No, the Minnesota Vikings, a team close to home. We got a holdout. And I think holdout stories are entertaining. They're dramatic. They're fascinating. They're fun to talk about. Now, I hope that as a Packer fan, I don't have to deal with one in the near future. Kenny Clark is up for a new deal before too long. I hope it doesn't get to that point this season. Aaron Jones is up for a new deal after this year. Maybe he thinks he's worth more than he's being paid and he decides to hold out. And if that's the case, I take back my uh, comments about a holdout story being interesting. But the Minnesota Vikings and Dalvin Cook, arguably their best player. You can make an argument that Dalvin Cook is their best player. Says he's not showing up for camp without a deal. Let's start there. Let's start with Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings. We'll talk about the chances that he gets re-signed. My first initial thoughts on it, we're only about a day into this story, and maybe how this story impacts the Packers, the rest of the division, and the rest of the NFC and the NFL. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. I hope you're doing well. We have hurricane weather uh, that's hitting outside right now, and maybe it's a good thing that the WKTY studio doesn't have any windows. I, I kind of feel like I'm missing out, not seeing like an actual tropical storm or weather that's a result of a tropical storm hitting the lacrosse area right now. So stay up to date. If there's any emergency weather or anything like that going on, we'll pass that along to you. But otherwise, just keep your head on a swivel. I don't know. It could be it could be a tornado outside. There's no windows in the studio. I wouldn't know. Coming up at 530, we're going to talk to David Gasper from reviewing the brew, not just about the Brewers, but about baseball. Is I, like I'm starting to actually believe we're not going to have a season. And we talked to Will Salmon of The Athletic last week. He covers the Brewers for The Athletic. And it was my goal of that interview to not be boring. Because I could have Brewers guest after Brewers guest and baseball guest after baseball guest on this show and ask them the same questions. And could be asking these guys the same questions ever, you know, since since March, since the thing started. Do you think we're going to have a season? You know, are these sides close? How are negotiations? My goal is to not make this just another baseball conversation and the same baseball conversation that we've been having for weeks. So David and I are going to talk Brewers We're going to talk ownership and talk players association, all that stuff coming up at 530. And it is my goal, like it's my goal of every interview, for it to not be the same old questions and the same old topics. So if you're sick of hearing about baseball, I would I would ask you to hang around and and, and hopefully we'll, we'll have a unique and interesting conversation because it's it's getting real repetitive. Right. We're going to talk about that coming up at 530. But I want to start with Dalvin Cook, because this is a story that impacts the Vikings, obviously. We have a lot of Vikings fans around here because we're right on the right on the river. We're right on the border. And another station in our building, KQ98, is a Vikings affiliate station. Like this one is a Packers station. So we have a lot of Vikings fans around here. And I hope 
that some of them listen to this show, although this is the Wisco Sports Show and we talk about Wisconsin sports. But I hope some Vikings fans hang out here. I enjoy talking about the Vikings because they're a very, very different team than the Packers. Right? The Vikings for the last five or six years have had a great roster top to bottom. Great roster, great defense. They've just tried to get the quarterback position right. The Packers are the, the, the exact opposite. They have the quarterback, and they're trying to figure out everything else. So it's a fun change of pace to talk about the Vikings when we're always talking about the Packers because they're very, very different teams, and, and they're in very different trajectories right now towards trying to win a Super Bowl. Both are trying to deal with different problems. So it's entertaining for me to talk about them both. Dalvin Cook, it was reported yesterday by Adam Schefter, that he will no longer participate in any team-related activities until and unless he receives, quote, a reasonable deal, a source said yesterday. The quote said, he's out. Without a reasonable extension, he will not be showing up for camp or beyond. Sounds really conclusive, right? That's really cut and dry. If he doesn't get a new deal, he's not showing up. Plain and simple. Now we'll see if that's, you know, plays out to be the case. If Dalvin Cook would actually be willing to miss a season or miss training camp or miss anything to force the Vikings to either trade him or give him a new contract or whatever. We'll see if he sticks to his guns. But as of right now, it sounds like he's pretty darn serious. Now, a Dalvin Cook extension makes a lot of sense for the Vikings for a lot of different reasons. Last year, the Vikings offense was bad when he wasn't on the field. And it was most evident in week 16 when they played the Packers on Monday Night Football. It was the ugliest offensive performance the Vikings had all year. They only had seven first downs and 137 total yards. Now, that wasn't all due to Dalvin Cook. Don't get me wrong. Alexander Madison also missed that game, so they were without their number one and their number two running back, but they were still at home with a healthy Kirk Cousins, Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, and Adam Thielen, and they were still only able to manage seven first downs and 137 yards. The absence of Dalvin Cook was a big part of that. It would make sense, and last year is a great example why, that they would want to retain Dalvin Cook even if it gets expensive. Mike Zimmer also wants to run the football. We all know that. He fired John D. Filippo and promoted Kevin Stefanski for this exact reason. Filippo was trying to throw the ball all over the yard, and Zimmer said, what are we doing? We got Dalvin Cook. Let's run the ball. The, the old adage, the old idea that, well, when you throw the ball, three things can happen, and two of them are bad. That's Mike Zimmer, and that's why he promoted St- Kevin Stefanski, who's now the head coach in Cleveland. Now Gary Kubiak's going to be taking over full-time as the offensive coordinator, and we know that he wants to focus on and invest in the run game. The Vikings also just drafted Ezra Cleveland, whose number one trait and best trait is his range and mobility, which will perfectly fit a zone-running scheme that Gary Kubiak wants to run. They also love to throw the ball to Dalvin Cook, and Ezra Cleveland, their latest offensive line choice in last year's draft, will be great for that because he's athletic, he can get out in space. He's not the most powerful lineman, but very similar to some of the guys the Packers have had on the line, he's very mobile, very versatile, and he fits well with Dalvin Cook and Gary Kubiak, and what the Vikings offense is supposed to be in 2020, and that features Dalvin Cook, their number one back. It makes sense that the Vikings would extend him for a lot of reasons, even if it's expensive, because his price tag is going to go up if they extend him. Says he wants a reasonable contract, and it was reported by Chad Graff of The Athletic in his article yesterday that he wants top three running back money. He doesn't necessarily want to reset the market. He doesn't want to be the highest paid running back in the league. He wants to be paid fairly. And I think Dalvin Cook's a top three running back in the league. 
That would put him with Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, and Christian McCaffrey somewhere in the range of 13 to $16 million. So we'll call it $15 million a year to make it simple. That's about what Dalvin Cook is looking for, and I think that's fair. But just because it's fair and just because it makes sense doesn't mean an extension will happen. I love Micah Hyde as an example. It made every bit of sense for Ted Thompson and the Packers to extend Micah Hyde after the 2016 season. They were without a lot of playmakers on the defense. Micah Hyde is versatile. He can cover multiple positions. He's a plug-and-play guy who can move around, and he's got great ball skills, right? He forced a lot of turnovers. The Packers drafted him. It would make sense for them to extend him, and they just didn't. It made sense. They just didn't. Sometimes NFL teams do that. Now, there's more reasons that the Vikings would avoid extending Dalvin Cook than there were reasons to avoid extending Micah Hyde. There are some concerns and some legitimate problems with the Vikings extending Dalvin Cook. He wants to be paid as a top three back, which, like I said, is fair and reasonable, but that puts him in the $15 million a year range, and the Vikings just don't have that right now. They'd have to get really creative. They might have to move some money around, and I'm not a capologist, but they're projected to have around $11 million in cap space, and they haven't signed any of their rookies yet, so that number's going to go down. If he wants $15 million a year, He's already over the line that the Vikings can handle. Now, we all know how NFL teams work. They have a group of accountants, guys to massage and manage the cap so they can make contracts fit. If the Vikings wanted to get it done, they could probably get it done. But it's going to be really, really difficult given their current cap situation. And moving forward, Kirk Cousins is only going to be paid more and more and more by the year. Financially, it's tough. Dalvin Cook also has had a little bit of an injury history. I'm not going to say he's injury prone because any player can go back-to-back years and get unlucky and get injured. That doesn't make them a bad player. It doesn't mean it's their fault or they're injury-prone. But running backs take a beating, and Dalvin Cook has only played in 29 of the 48 possible games through his first three seasons. Now, Dalvin Cook has gotten injured and bounced back very quickly. He showed the same explosiveness, the same power and speed his sophomore year after blowing his ACL out as a rookie. And last year's a great example. He missed Week 16 against the Packers and then Week 16 against the Bears. Both games the Vikings lost. And then he came back in the postseason against New Orleans in the Superdome and dropped 130 total yards and two touchdowns. So yeah, he has had an injury history, but when he's been healthy, he's been healthy. And he's been really good. Those are a couple of reasons the Vikings might think twice about extending Dalvin Cook. Now, this to me is the most telling stat. I did some research today about the 2019-2020 season, the NFL season that just wrapped up a couple of months ago. This is the most telling stat, and it has to do with volume and production. And it's up to you to decide if this is a good or a bad thing. If this would mean the Vikings should re-sign him or should avoid re-signing him. There's two ways to approach this. The Vikings went 10 and 6 in 2019, 2020. They won 10 games, lost 6 games. 8 of their 10 wins, they scored more than 25 points. And I took a look at those 5 or or I should say 8 wins where they scored more than 25 points. Their wins where the offense was really humming. I took a deeper look at those games. In five of those eight wins in which they scored more than 25 points, Dalvin Cook accounted for at least 37% of the total offense. So in those five wins where they scored more than 25 points, Dalvin Cook accounted for 44%, 37%, 44%, 30%, and 50% of the team's total offense in yardage. He's been a huge part of the Vikings offense. He's had a huge workload, and he's produced a lot. Like I said, there's two ways to look at that. The Vikings either must retain him because he produces so much, or they must move on 
because they've already put so much of a workload on him. Two ways to look at it. It's a really interesting and telling stat. Of the Vikings' best offensive wins, Dalvin Cook was 40% or more of their total output in yardage. He's had a huge workload. It's up to you and the Vikings, really, to decide whether that's a reason to move on, to quit while you're ahead, or to bring him back in. We'll see. Everybody knows paying a running back big money is risky, but teams do it. Teams keep doing it, and every team says, well, we're different. This running back is different. We'll see if that is the case with Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey, and we'll see what the Vikings decide to do with Dalvin Cook. I want to continue this conversation coming up next because we have a history of players asking for a new deal a couple of years early, and there's very specific guidelines and outlines for which players are rewarded with those early extensions and which players aren't. So I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson, show you the precedent from the last couple of years. Like I said, we're also going to talk Baseball with reviewing the Brews, David Gasper, coming up in about 15 minutes. A lot more of the Wisco Sports Show to come, coming up next. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Tomorrow morning, I'll be hopping on the WKTY Morning Show with Dave Carney. A couple minutes early. I'm going to be joining him at 810 rather than 820. So I'll probably still be half asleep. I know it's only a 10-minute difference, but hey, in the morning with me, 10 minutes, that's all the time in the world. I'm going to be jumping on with him at 8, uh, 8.10 because Bill Michaels, the big unit who's in town, is going to join him at 8.30. So make sure you're joining Dave Carney and the WKTY Morning Show tomorrow morning. We're talking about Dalvin Cook. It was reported yesterday by Adam Schefter and then by others as well that he's not coming to camp. He's not showing up without a new deal, a reasonable deal. That was, that was the quote, that was the word that was used by the source both with Adam Schefter and with Chad Graff, who I, I read the report today in The Athletic. By reasonable, Dalvin Cook simply means he wants to be paid like a top three running back. I, does anyone disagree that he's a top three running back in the NFL right now? Christian McCaffrey's in that conversation. Derek Henry's in that conversation. Dalvin Cook is certainly up there. I, look, I'm not a huge Ezekiel Elliott guy, but he's probably up there as well. It's a very short list. I think it's completely reasonable that Dalvin Cook wants to be paid for the player that he is, which is a top three running back. It doesn't sound like he wants to reset the market and blow up the, the you know the contract scale. That's not what he's asking for. He wants to be compensated reasonably, which is fair. That doesn't mean the Vikings will do it for a lot of different reasons. Now, what I did today was I looked at the biggest running back contracts in the league, how they came to be, how it was handled by the player and his representation and the team, the timing of it, and I looked at some first-round picks from the last couple of years that have demanded and received a contract extension early before the end of their rookie deal. I want to try to set uh, set the record straight and, and give you a taste of precedent, and maybe we'll have a better idea of if Dalvin Cook is going to get a new contract or not. So Dalvin Cook doesn't exactly have recent history on his side. The current biggest running back contracts are Todd Gurley, Devontae Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, who's currently the highest paid running back. But recently, talk about running con- running back contracts, you talk about Todd Gurley, Devonta Freeman, and Le'Veon Bell, because those are three of the largest that have not exactly gone well. Todd Gurley signed a four-year, $60 million deal in 2018. Well, that was two years ago. Uh, it's 2020, and he is now with Atlanta. 
which is where Devontae Freeman was when he signed a five-year, $41 million extension in 2017. Uh, three years later, he's a free agent. He's nowhere. Le'Veon Bell, last last year, signed a four-year, $52 million deal, and the Jets, like, don't even really want him. Like, it's been reported that Joe Douglas wants to get rid of him. They just don't want him. Those big extensions, those massive running back extensions, have not exactly panned out well for the Rams or the Falcons. Or the Jets. Now, Christian McCaffrey is the latest big deal. He actually did reset the market, something that I don't think Dalvin Cook wants to do. Four years, $64 million. He's under contract with the Panthers through 2025. Ezekiel Elliott signed a six-year extension to make it eight total, $103 million. And it's interesting because Todd Gurley was a bad deal. Devonta Freeman was a bad deal. Le'Veon Bell was a bad deal. There's all of the recent history in the world to indicate that the Panthers shouldn't have done what they did and that the Cowboys shouldn't have done what they did with Ezekiel Elliott. But both teams did it. Because every time this happens with a running back, the team, like the Panthers, says, well, we're different. Christian McCaffrey is different. He catches the ball and runs the ball. It's like, well, wait. So did Todd Gurley and Devonta Freeman and and Le'Veon. So did they. But the Panthers say, no, this is different. And the Cowboys, the Cowboys are literally bidding against themselves. And the Ezekiel Elliott situation and contract extension shows why taking a running back in the top five is problematic because you feel obligated to re-sign them. Let me make it very, very basic. If you're an NFL GM and you don't want to re-sign a player to a second deal, don't draft them in the top five. In fact, don't drop them in the top 10 or in the first round. What If you drop, draft a player in the first round, What are the expectations or the hopes for that player? Pick one through 32. The hope is contributor for eight years. There's a good player for the team for eight to 10 years. That's the hope. Now, if you take a player in the top five, that's the minimum. That's the minimum expectation. That player better be great for eight years at least, if not more. Here's the problem. If you take a running back in the top five, a couple years later, running back wants a new deal. Well, we're not really supposed to pay running backs, but... What are we going to do? Let a top five pick walk out the door when we could have taken a franchise left tackle, a franchise linebacker, a wide receiver, a cornerback, a quarterback. Well, we took a running back and don't really want to re-sign him, but what choice do we have? Can't let a top five pick walk out the door. That's the problem with drafting running back in the top five. Now, that's not Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook is at a juncture in his contract where it's time for him to get a new deal. Let me explain. Here's the precedent. Top five players play three years, and meet or exceed expectations and get a new deal. That's how it works. If you're drafted in the top five or top 10, depending on the player in the position, you play three seasons, and if you do everything right and you meet or exceed expectations, you get a new deal. Last year, we see lots of examples from the 2016 draft. Carson Wentz played three seasons, almost won an MVP. His team won a Super Bowl, get a new deal. That happened last June. Jared Goff played three seasons, made a Super Bowl, Gets a new deal after that third year. Ezekiel Elliott, same thing. Played three years. Got his new deal last September. He was uh, uh, the same class as Goff and Wentz. Top of the draft, top five. But unlike Wentz and Goff, he had to earn his new contract. He had to hold out for it. Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Ezekiel Elliott. Three examples of players that follow the, the, the trajectory you typically see high draft picks take. You play three years, and if you're what we expected, you get a new deal. Jamal Adams is now doing the same thing. He was drafted a year after Wentz, Elliott, and Goff, but he's in the same situation. Top 10 draft pick, top player at his position in the league, and he says, I want a new deal. He's drafted sixth overall in 2017, 
So he just completed his third year, and he says, hey, Jets, pay up. It's my time. And now we'll see if they do it or not. Sounds like he might hold out. I I don't think they should trade him at this point. If you were going to trade him, you should have done it before the draft, but that's not the point. And next year, we'll probably be talking about Saquon Barkley in the exact same situation. Coming off of his third year, top five pick, wants a new deal. And the Giants are going to face the same problem that the Cowboys did, bidding against themselves. Because nobody's going to want to pay a running back $70 $70 million, right? Probably $16, $17, $18 million a year. Nobody wants to do that except the team that needs to do that because they took them in the top five. That's the situation the Cowboys found themselves in, and that's the situation the Giants are about to find themselves in. They don't want to pay them all that money, but they took them in the top five. What are you going to let them do? Walk for nothing? Now, Dalvin Cook wasn't taken in the top five or the top ten. He was taken in the second round. He was taken 41st in 2017. But there are a couple of players from his draft that already have new deals. Laramie Tunsil, who fell to 13th because of the whole gas mask bonk incident. He got a huge extension. Jalen Smith, who was taken 34th, but if he didn't blow out his knee in, in the bowl season, he's probably a top 10 pick. Derrick Henry, same draft, pick 45, just got, a, just got franchise tagged. And Michael Thomas, who was taken 47th. For reference, Kenny Clark is the same draft. He was taken 27th. So Kenny Clark's probably feeling like he's ready for a new deal too, and I think the Packers will give him one before the season starts. But with all of those players, Laramie Tunsil, Jalen Smith, th- th- those two guys are, are guys who fell in the draft. They were top five talents, but both fell because of injuries, because of something else. Derrick Henry got franchise tag. Michael Thomas is a wide receiver, so it's a little bit easier to give him a deal. And Kenny Clark, I think, is going to get a deal. What about Dalvin Cook? All of his contemporaries in his draft in 2016 have gotten new deals. We talked about Wentz. Goff and Elliott. We just talked about Tunsil, Smith, Henry, Thomas. I think Kenny Clark's going to get one. What about Dalvin Cook? He was taken in the second round, and this should be his time, but he's a running back. And there's a real hesitancy to pay running backs, especially because the Vikings really don't have any cap space. We'll see. We'll see how it ends, but it's going to be a fascinating story to follow. I love a good holdout story. It's a story that just lasts and lasts and lasts and always develops, and I'm glad it's not with the Cowboys. Or the Steelers. We finally got a new team in the mix with the Vikings and a really, really talented running back that deserves to be paid top three money. I just don't know if his current team, the Vikings, are, are going to be the team to, to fork that money over for reasons we already discussed. When we come back, we're going to talk to David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew. And I said to start the show, it is my goal, having guests on right now, to not make the interviews boring because we've been talking about the same baseball topics for weeks now. I, what I don't want to do is bring on David and say, hey, do you think we're going to have a season? You know, what do, what do you think about the latest proposal? I want to get a little bit more creative, a little bit more interesting. So if you're sick of hearing about baseball, I, we're, we're going to try to go off the beaten path a little bit and, and have a more interesting conversation rather than the cookie-cutter baseball questions that everybody's asking the last couple of weeks. That coming up, we're also going to talk about what the St. Louis Cardinals owner said today. He said some pretty ridiculous stuff, and we're going to have a laugh at that before the show wraps up. Uh, a lot more of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Follow me on Twitter at Keystroker Grant. You can keep up to date with all of us on Twitter at WKTY. We're going to talk about what what the St. Louis Cardinals owner uh, said on a radio station on the fan in St. Louis. We're going to have a good laugh at that coming up in about 15 minutes. But first, uh, one of my favorite guests, David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew. David, something really interesting that I've noticed 
uh, maybe in just the last week or so here is I think even the most credentialed and qualified and professional sports reporters, Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan, they're going crazy like the rest of us. It took them a little bit longer, but I remember at the start of this whole baseball incident, guys like Jeff Passan, very buttoned up. They're reporting the facts. They're saying, hey, this is this is uh, the factors in this negotiation. And then in the last week, I just see Jeff Passan being like, can we just, like, for God's sake, can we just get this done? Like, I, I think baseball reporters are just as frustrated as everybody else right now. And I know you have strong feelings on Manfred and Tony Clark. Like, are, are you just at a point where you're ready to break? Like, this is an exhausting story. Yeah, it really is. And Passan tweeted earlier today, he's like, my head hurts, just play baseball, please. I'm yeah. just like, this is this is such a mood right now. Like, that is, I'm pretty sure it's what everyone is thinking right now. It's like, can, can we just stop with this, all this back and forth and, and trying to do math and, and, you know, figure out who's getting the most money here or there and, like, just come to something and, and just bring us baseball. It, it shouldn't be that difficult you know, with everything going on right now, they just they need to get something together, and there's really no excuse for holding up a season over the kinds of economic issues that, that they're facing. So I'm not going to lie. This isn't me being pro-owner. I, I, I hate this about sports, David, is if you, if you criticize a player in any way, then you're, then you're for the owners, which, which isn't the case, but we have to look at both sides of this. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was getting frustrated with the players because I saw the financials that Major League Baseball purposefully leaked. And I'm like, wait, a Major League Baseball player who's making, you know, X millions of dollars is still going to make, you know, millions of dollars? Like, that was frustrating to me. But now as we learn more and more and more, and people are actually sitting down and doing the math, it, like, the owners really have no excuse. It's not going to cost the owners that much money based on what we know. And they won't open the books. So it's not like we can get any confirmation, but... From every you know math equation that I've seen, and we were talking about what Jeff Passan just just shared a couple of days ago off the air, it wouldn't financially cripple some of these owners to just take a short loss. I don't get why owners won't take a small loss this year to avoid years and years of issues in the future. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. And unless they think that, um, you know, like like even going through just a short downturn this year, they're just going to go right back up to huge profits over the next several years without fully realizing that if you don't have a season over these economic issues and you don't just, you know, take the short hit and you try and take as small of a hit as possible, you're just going to take much larger hits down the road yeah. because fans are going to be leaving the game. Fans are already starting to leave the game. They're disinterested with this whole fighting back and forth about money. Like, they're, they're losing a lot of fans of the game because they, they can't get their act together over this. And, you know, it, it's turning people off just like it did in 1994 with the players strike then. It, it's going to be the same kind of thing, except since the country's in, in more of a, a crisis than it was in 1994, it, it's just looking even worse on baseball. I mean, this was supposed to be their opportunity to, to be the first, you know, pro team sport back. Um, they, they could come back, you know, around 4th of July, you got the whole patriotism thing, and, you know, it could have been a great, you know, starting things off with a bang uh, for for the season, and they they haven't been able to do that. This squabbling uh, that they've been going through has already cost them a possible July fourth start. Um, so it's going to be pushed back at the very least a week later. Even if they agreed to a deal today, um, it'd be pushed back a week beyond uh, the fourth of July. And it's just uh, I I don't understand how neither side has just kind of realized that. 
mutually assured destruction is really not a good path to go here and that they need to come to a deal for the betterment of themselves and, and for the other side. No, I think mutually assured destruction is, is a good way to put it. Both sides are seemingly content with blowing this whole thing up and, and creating problems for the next couple of years. David Gasper reviewing the brew uh, joining us on the five-star telecom talk and text line. It's interesting, David, because I know you're a sports fan outside of baseball. And I asked Will Salmon mm-hmm. last week, who is your colleague, and, and he covers the Brewers at The Athletic at a, at a different publication, obviously. And I asked him, like, Will, are you a fan of other sports? Because I think we sometimes forget that that journalists maybe don't actually have a passion and a fandom for the team or the sport in which they cover. But I'll ask you, David, the NBA is actually in a, a really similar situation to baseball right now. But you know what I, I haven't noticed? is nobody's getting mad at the NBA. Like, nobody is calling the players selfish for wanting to be safe, for wanting their their fair share of the cut. Nobody's criticizing Adam Silver for taking too long. Why is everybody gravitating towards baseball? It's, it's, it's fascinating, and I didn't think of it until now. The NBA and baseball are fighting the exact same battle, but nobody's souring on the NBA. We're excited. When they announced they're coming back, nobody said, well, you're going to take until August? No, we're excited to have them back. Meanwhile, baseball, we, we, we just we want to tune them out. Why do you think that is? I think part of it is just kind of with the distrust with with baseball from the past several years. I mean, with with all those lockouts, you know, back then a lot of the older fans who remember those lockouts, those strikes, um, you know, they're they're struggling with going through that again. Um, and I mean, with the NBA, it was a little bit easier for them because they already had most of their season done with fans, so they so they've had a lot of revenue coming sure. in. Um, so it's a bit easier for them to have. Uh, come to an agreement. If baseball was able to get at least like a month or two in before they had to shut down and, and then tried to restart it, uh, I think it would have been a little bit of a different conversation. But you know, with them not really having any money, all the teams just kind of spent and went through their whole off season. You know, just kind of like putting all their money out there, not trying to save as much as possible to 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 wait for a season. Kind of what the NFL is able to do because you know their season was done. And, you know, things were getting started right around for agency was getting started. So they could kind of, you know, measure it and have it be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, the other teams, the NBA, the, the NFL, they have revenue splits uh, in their collective bargaining agreements. Baseball does not um, ha- have a set revenue split. So that makes it a little bit different for them as well in, in terms of negotiating and, and the type of agreement that they can come to. Um, so I think that those are definitely a couple of factors that have played into, um, the big issue here with baseball. Yeah. David, David Gasper from reviewing the brew. We're just talking baseball, just shooting the breeze. I, I've seen your ex like extended frustration with Rob Manfred on Twitter and I'm not going to lie. I I feel like, yeah, I feel like I have a good handle for Roger Goodell and the type of commissioner he is, what he values, what he prioritizes. And I feel the same way about Adam Silver. I don't really know where to place Rob Manfred in the landscape of, of sports leaders. We know how he responded to the Astros situation. Most people believe it wasn't strong enough. What do you think about Rob Manfred at this time, especially his role to the negotiations that are currently going on? What do you feel as though he could do differently or do better? I think uh, what he could do differently is pretty much everything that he's done uh, to this point in terms of the negotiations. I mean, I mean everything, it's all focused on maximizing 
basically short-term gains and short-term profits for, for Rob Manfred. Sure. You know, they went into the, the 2016 CBA negotiations and they basically took the players to the cleaners. The, the players were, the, the players union leadership was incredibly weak and Manfred took every advantage, um, with that. And, um, you know, since then it's been a whole bunch of wins for the league and, and the players have really just kind of been, um, you know, salting about it, and it's really kind of been bad for them. So they've been, you know, gearing up for a fight, trying to get back some stuff. Manfred's pretty much holding on to everything, not not trying to give the players anything at all. And he doesn't seem to be negotiating it in good faith with them. He's not opening up, telling them uh, more stuff, being honest. He's not um, – it, it doesn't seem like he's making a full effort to meet in the middle with the players, and, sure. which is weird because – you know, when he was coming in after Bud Selig retired, um, basically the book on Manfred was that, like, he was uh, Selig's chief negotiator. You know, he had been a, a key part in helping keep labor peace for the past 25, 26 years. So it's like, oh, oh, oh hey, great. We got, you know, that guy who's very key in keeping the labor peace. Sounds good. Um, but really, kind of since then, his relationship with the players' union has completely soured, and there is zero trust uh, with the players in Manfred. There's zero trust from the owners with the players. It's It's been so bad, and this has been souring for the past four years, really, since that last CBA negotiation. And, you know, Manfred, he keeps on, as the players do, he keeps on just trying to change up and, and dress up the offer to make it look a little bit better, even though it's really the same thing. Um it, I think that's where the players are getting really upset because he's basically, with, with three different offers MLB has proposed, he's basically offering the same amount of total money going to them in every single one. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's where the players are getting upset, and Manfred is really not making a decent effort to meet the players halfway. So, I mean, that, that's really kind of you know where he's coming uh, at fault, but Tony Clark is, is not without fault either in all this. Yeah, I, I mean, it takes two sides to tango. I, look, Tony Clark doesn't want to be the guy that lets his players down. He doesn't want to be the union leader that signs a bad deal. I get that. I, I cannot imagine being the commissioner who didn't allow my league to play because I didn't want to come to the table. David, one comment about what you just said, and then one final question for you. You said that Rob Manfred is the short-term guy. He's taking the short-term gain over the long-term success. That doesn't make sense to me at all because baseball's been around since the late 1800s. When has baseball ever been about a short-term game or about the here and now? It's about the history and the long-term success of the sport. So maybe if that is the way that Rob Manfred is and that's how he conducts his business, maybe he's not the right guy for the job, at least in the sport of baseball. Final question for you. Something I've realized, Gasper, is that I don't even know if this is about money or about safety with coronavirus or the number of games. I think every negotiating point has now boiled down to Ego. The players don't feel like they're respected. They don't feel valued in the eyes of the league. They don't want to be taken advantage of, and they want to be spoken to like adults. And y- your response to me just just further clarifies that point, that Rob Manfred is not valuing and not treating his players the way they want to be treated and valued. The new CBA is up next year. David, I think this is the worst-case scenario for baseball. Not just a, a hit in this summer, But let's say they don't have a season and nothing really gets resolved. And this battle extends into next year into the the new CBA negotiations. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come out of the worst year in recent American history in 2020 after a pandemic, 
after extreme race unrest and protests, coming into a new year where we want to have sports, but oh yeah, baseball's still fighting about the CBA after missing it last year. Gasper, I don't know if anybody is going to want to hear it next summer. So the idea that baseball can just skip this season and then attack the CBA next year, they might not have any fans left. And I'm not even trying to be dramatic, but if we have to listen to this crap for another year and this affects next season as well, I'm going to be so out on baseball. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been insane. And um, I think the Players Association and the league are heading for a fight no matter what happens um, with this. I, I think it's better suited for a fight in 2021 after you, after you play the 2021 season. You know, then they're probably going to have a fight, probably probably going to have a lockout or a strike or something like that. Um, now is really not the time to have the big fight. This this is a little skirmish before the big fight. This has been brewing since the last CBA negotiations. The players got railroaded in that deal. I'm really surprised they kept Tony Clark on as the leader of the exactly. union after that because he negotiated a horrible deal for them. Um, and now he's trying to project toughness and strength and show that he can get a good deal. So that's why he's sticking on this prorated pay and, and just basically not budging from his spot because he wants to put his union in a good negotiating spot for the 2021 CBA. So there's going to be a fight no matter what with all this. Now is really not a good time for them to have it. They, they need to come together and look at the 2020 season on its own and just come to an agreement to have a season and keep the sport going. You can't let it get that far out of the American consciousness. And, and otherwise, you're going to fall further down in popularity than they already are. They, they already got pushed down to the third most popular league in America after their 1994 strike. They're, they're behind football and basketball. And if they were able to come together, have you know good faith negotiations, none, none of the squabbling, they would have been able to, you know, come back quickly, and they probably could have vaulted themselves up. Maybe they would have surpassed basketball, you know, in terms of popularity in the country. I don't know if they would have been able to get to football level, but they could have gotten up there. Um, and now, with the way things are going, I mean, they could fall behind hockey in terms of popularity in the in the entire country. And, and I know hockey is more popular in, in you know, your Minnesotas, your Wisconsin's, North Dakotas, mm-hmm. you know, the, the up north Midwest here. But I mean, across the across the country, hockey is not that popular, and baseball could fall even behind them if they keep on squabbling and and they're not really able to play any semblance of a full season because of economics issues during you know a cri- during a crisis like crisis year like this in the country. Yeah, well, baseball's the number one thing they had going for it is they were going to be the only thing on TV, and every day that they argue that asset, that valuable asset of of being alone on television and being the one sport being played, that that becomes less and less and less valuable with every day that passes. It's concerning and it's really annoying, which is why I'm just I'm not going to have it next summer. If we if they try to do this again with the CBA battle next summer, I'm I'm already exhausted with baseball and they haven't even started. I'm I'm, I'm so out on it for now. David Gasper. I appreciate you, man, for, for bringing some expertise and some insight. And, and you know what? It's about time. Let's turn our baseball insiders loose. Let's, let's stop having them be just reporters of the facts, and let's just have them vent, because I think you're just, you're just as frustrated as, as everybody else, Gasper. I, I hope, you, yeah. uh, hope you have a good one. Let's talk baseball again soon. I, I don't have great uh, faith that we're going to be talking about games, but baseball's the conversation is not going anywhere. So I appreciate you, man. Let's talk soon. Yeah, but I, I will tell you this. If they cannot come to an agreement for this season – 
both Manfred and Tony Clark should be out of their jobs if they Agreed. can't come to a deal. Agreed. Absolutely, David. Hey, have a good one, man. Let's let's talk soon. Let's let's talk baseball and, and complain again uh, in the near future because it's fun, right? It's therapeutic. Oh, yeah. And we got the draft tomorrow night um, and, and Thursday, so you know, plenty of stuff to talk about with, with that coming up at least the next two days. Yeah, something to talk about that's positive. David Gasper, that's him reviewing the brew. You can find him on Twitter, at David Gasper. Uh, and, and read his stuff at Reviewing the Brew. You want stuff that's laid out simply, Reviewing the Brew's your spot, and David Gasper is your guy. I love what he had to say about Manfred and, and Tony Clark. First of all, I, I hate how Major League Baseball is vilified for winning union debates and winning their collective bargaining agreement. If baseball's got a problem with getting their butt kicked in negotiations, don't take it up with the league. Take it up with your union leader. Like, it was the same in the NFL. The NFL players got waxed, and they want to complain about Roger Goodell. Demora Smith is still in charge of the union. Why are you Why are you going to continue to have your union leader fight for you if they continue to mess it up and mess it up and mess it up? It's, it goes on in no other union. Well, actually, I don't know. It would make sense if it went on in no other union other than sports. I don't know how police unions and, and nurse unions and all that work, but but the idea that you're going to retain your union leader after they negotiate a terrible deal, you don't... You don't Blame the, the the league. You blame the, the individual who negotiated the deal. It's, it's ridiculous. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to continue to talk about baseball for a couple of minutes. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. couple of minutes to touch on a couple of things before we say goodbye. Big thanks to David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew for helping provide some clarity some expertise to this whole mess that is going on between Major League Baseball and its players. I'm not even I'm not even paying attention to the plans and the proposals anymore. It's it's basically just complaining. I feel very similar to all of you. I think we should have baseball on. Right now, I think we should have baseball on. And we don't. And it's really, really frustrating. Uh today, really briefly, the Cardinals owner Bill DeWitt, Bill DeWitt Jr., um, he, he joined 590 the fan in St. Louis today, and this quote was flying around social media. You might have seen it, and this perfectly exemplifies what's wrong with Major League Baseball ownership and with the league right now. His quote, the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. I think they understand that, but they think, you know, the owners are hiding profits, and there's been a little bit of just trust there. Let's talk about that first line. The industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. Well, I... I did some heavy research, had to dig for hours to find it. Actually, I just looked up baseball franchises' values on Forbes. It was literally the first thing that came up, and I clicked it, and now I'm looking at it. It took all two seconds to find. Profits from last year. Yankees, $683 million, number one. Well, well, don't just focus on the Yankees. Fine, let's go to the Cardinals. $383 million last year. The franchise is valued at $2.2 billion. What about the lowly Brewers? Small market brewers. Well, the brewers are down the list. They're 24th on the league. They're valued at $1.2 billion. Yeah, what a tiny number. They only brought in $290 million of revenue last year. Oh, damn. Just not enough money. Just not enough money. Mark Atanasio, $700 million. That's his worth. $700 million. Franchise is worth over a billion. Baseball just isn't very profitable. Robert Murray of the Athletic is just dunking on him on Twitter today. In 2020, the Kansas City Royals were purchased for $1 billion. The Miami Marlins were purchased for $1.2 billion. Two of the worst franchises in the league, in the worst markets in the league. Both worth over a billion. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Bill DeWitt, Mr. Baseball's not very profitable. Uh, Robert Murray reported this, and I got to laugh. 
He bought a mansion in the Hollywood Hills uh, less than a month ago, actually, for $8.2 million. Oh, yeah. Not very profitable. Not enough money in baseball. Look, baseball might not be cool. Might not be basketball or football, but to say there's no money in baseball is just plain wrong. We'll continue this conversation tomorrow. We're going to look at an old Packer game, too. We'll go pack in time, reminisce, throw it back a little bit. We'll have fun. Same time, same place tomorrow here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.